Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're talking about it in relationship to Thessalonians and I've uh, we've done chapters 1 through 3 of 1st Thessalonians but uh I wanted to go back and and uh look at the uh, main page uh, that first begins to talk about Thessalonians uh because I added a little bit more to it cuz uh of you know, everything that I write usually has to do with my interaction with people out there in the world and what's going on in the news and what's going on in their life. And I got emails from Arizona and Texas and Australia. I was looking at uh, people in our network from some of these areas. Some of these people are not in our network. Everybody should be in the network. It's not a big deal to be in the network. It's just based on geography. It's where we send out the most immediate announcements and interactions. Uh, I've actually joined another network uh, just to see how it's going, and it's not very active either. Um, I don't get any responses from them. It's a kind of a uh, people's rights uh, network. Uh, but I thought I'd take a look at it, and I thought maybe I'd make some contacts and maybe have some interesting conversations with people, but... Uh, uh, they're not really very active. They probably are in different areas. They're all over the United States. Our network's all over the world. But uh, the thing is, is what they're missing, and I saw this in, in another uh, uh, tweet from uh, Dave Rubin, talks about their community. They got a lot. Of, he's got a lot of followers who follow the Dave Rubin show, and it's an interesting show. He interviews a lot of interesting people. But uh, they're not really a community because they have no communion. <laughs> and, of course, if you say the word communion, most people think that has, you know, if they're, if they're Catholic or Presbyterian or something, they think that has to do with a little wafer of bread that you give, hand out to people in church. But that's not what communion was. Communion was the practice of pure religion. And, of course, religion is not what you think about God, but it's what you do about the needy of society. Pure religion being taking care of the needy of society, widows and orphans who are the most needy of society, as well as the infirm, and uh, the injured, and people who are falling through the cracks, so to speak, uh, through no fault of their own, uh, or through little fault of their own. And it's helping them out. It's loving them in a way that strengthens them and taking care of them. And you do that in the kingdom of God in the church or through the church because you actually care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And if you're coming in the name of Christ, you're coming to serve because he says, I am one who comes to serve. So that is the role of the church. That is the role of religion. That is what communion is, is taking care of the needy. 
the original communion, if you read Justin the Martyr, were sacks of bread, not crumbs handed out in some sort of ritual or ceremony. And if you're not uh, sharing uh, and providing a daily ministration of welfare that is functioning through charity, you're not really a Christian. If you don't desire to do that, at least, you're certainly not a believer. Because that's what Christ was preaching. But uh, along comes guys like Celsus, who was an early uh, antagonist to Christianity. And he wrote a bunch of stuff about Christianity and complained about Christianity. And most of Christianity ignored him. He's just a troll. But some people thought, oh, my gosh, he's, he's affecting our faith. He's, we're not going to get converts because he's undermining our faith. But, of course, the individual who was all worked up about that was somebody who lived in fear and not faith, did not understand Christianity. Actually, right out of the box, he was doing things absolutely opposed to what Christ would have done. And yet, he is still held up as a church father. Well, he's not a church father of the church established by Christ. He's a church father of the church established by Constantine. And, of course, I'm speaking of Ambrose. And we have articles up on Ambrose. And just seconds before we started the show, I was uh, adding to our page on Celsus, who, uh, you know, in 178 uh, CE, uh, he was writing his work complaining about Christianity. We wouldn't know anything about it except for Christians ended up quoting him. And they ended up quoting him because Ambrose thought we had to rebut his arguments. But the reality is his arguments had little to do with the essence of Christianity. And by beginning the argument, it began to open a door to arguing points that are irrelevant to true Christianity. Or not essential to true Christianity. And by defending Christianity from his complaints, we gave his complaints weight. And it allowed people to create whole theologies around his complaints. We, Like I said, we wouldn't even know of his complaints because none of the copies have survived except in the quotes by people like Origen. And uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll do a show on that at another time because uh, I haven't finished putting together all my notes on them. I started writing about them years ago and I just went back there because I saw, what do they call themselves, uh, conservative atheists uh, complaining about Christianity. And there's a lot of things to complain about modern Christianity because modern Christian, Christianity is not real Christianity. <laughs> it's it's like fake news. It's the fake good news. It's it's full of all kinds of stumbling blocks that actually lead us away or distract us away from the essence of what Christ said to do. What Christ said to do, what he told his church to do and not to do, is the essence of his church. 
if you're not doing what Christ said to do, or you're doing what Christ said not to do, you have need of repentance. You need to think differently about what Christianity really is. And that's, that's the problem today. That's, it's not COVID. It's not the vaccine. <laughs> what else is in the news? Uh, it's not the election. Um, you know, that's not the problem. Those are symptoms of the problem. The problem is, is that we're not real Christians. We're not really doing what Christ said. Because Christ came to set you free. He came to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family. Uh, Christ is a firm believer in capitalism. Capitalism is found in nature. Squirrels collect nuts. And the only one who complains about that kind of capitalism is other nuts. <laughs> you can catch the, the pun there is intended. But uh, the reality is, is that all the problems in the economy today are not the result of capitalism. It's the result of our strain from the principles of capitalism. Because capitalism is not, it's not a political system. Capitalism is just what you produce is yours. And what you create, you have a right to. What you build, it, you know, you build a house, you get to live in it. Wow. Nobody has a right to your house but you. Unless, of course, you steal the lumber from somebody else or something like that, but then, then you didn't really build it. If you, it, the products of your hands are yours because you are considered the means of production. And some people will complain, oh, but rich men will get so rich and everything. That's because you have strayed if evil rich men get richer and richer day by day, it's because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God. You are a divided flock. And so your your sheepdogs have no shepherd. They are wolves. <laughs> they are devouring you bite by bite. But they only get to do that because you are willing to bite your neighbor. Another long... Uh, point that we can get into at another time but we are going to cover Thessalonians so if we go back to our original page the first Thessalonians I have added a section there should be understood the things that you need to understand when you're reading Thessalonians when you're reading Corinthians when you're reading Romans when you're reading the Gospels is that the early church was gathering in a network as Christ commanded yet Christ commanded that his disciples make the people organize themselves in ranks of tens and then ten groups of tens is a hundred and then ten groups of a hundred is a thousand. And of course, because when he, he we first see him commanding that the people organize themselves in this manner, there were 5,000 men and their families gathered out in the countryside. And he ordered that they organize themselves in this manner, the same manner in which they organized themselves at Pentecost, the same manner in which you see the Christians organizing themselves for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after uh, the beginning and appointment of 
the kingdom of God to his church, to his called out disciples. This is how they operated. And that because of that, they were able to form a daily ministration that provided all the social welfare uh, through charity rather than force, which is what Herod was using, uh, the Pharisees were using, Caesar was using, uh, the treasurer of Corinth had been using until he met Paul and Paul was telling him otherwise. Ephesus was using it. You registered with the temple, which was a government temple. You became a member of that temple. You had to pay in a portion of what you produced. It was no longer yours. It was, it was required that you pay it in. They had people out there taking account of what you produce and making sure you paid your fair share. This was the system that was spreading all across the Roman Empire. And John the Baptist said, no, no, not going to do that. We're going to do this through charity. You take what you have extra, what you can afford to give, and you share it with those through a network of ministers that you choose through voluntary free will offerings. This was the unique difference between the temple of God which was made without hands. It was a living temple, a network of men and women and congregants gathering in free assemblies, operating according to the perfect law of liberty, but providing a daily ministration and a system of welfare throughout the world of Rome. And that system of welfare was unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government of Rome. I just heard a news story, uh, I shared it on my Facebook, of Stossel talking about, I think it was Yale College, getting millions upon millions of dollars from the government. And their whole business model is based on uh, providing education to students who go out and get millions and millions of dollars in student loans and uh, then burden themselves with those loans to get this education. Those who don't make it end up without a degree and owing fifty, sixty, or more thousands of dollars uh, that they have to pay back. It's amazing. Two hundred years ago, you could go to Yale, you could go to Princeton, you could go to these colleges and get a free education without paying any money in whatsoever. If you could not afford to pay for that education, but you could get the grades. Because they offered scholarships. It was in their original charter. Now, people who go out and get a job, manual labor or mechanic or, you know, a machinist, you know, some blue collar job or even sometimes white collar jobs just based on their own skills. They didn't go on to college, certainly didn't go to Yale or Princeton. They end up paying these student loans off and now with the, the new, uh, whether he's the new president or not, uh, the, the, it seems to be up in the air as to who has actually been elected. But at least Biden wants to pay all those student loans off. Well, he's not going to pay any of them off. <laughs> he's going to put that bill on all the other people. But the reality is that these systems of forced contributions makes the word of God to none effect. When 
Yale was able to provide free education to those who could not afford an education but could make the grade. They were able to do it because alumni sent money to them, paid for these scholarships. My own grandfather didn't didn't go to Yale. He he went out and uh, plowed uh, the fields of North Dakota <laughs> and uh, and planted wheat. But he became fairly wealthy by the time he was 45 years old and retired and uh, continued to make money uh, loaning his farm out to other people. And But he put numerous, numerous kids through college, through scholarships. And he disfunded it out of his own pocket. And we were able to do that. We can't do that anymore because we have strayed from capitalism. Who's making... Who's being destroyed by the shutdown? Small businesses, small stores, restaurants. They're being devastated by this. Who's making millions of dollars? Millionaires. Billions of dollars. Millionaires. Soros is worth billions more. Uh, Gates is going to be worth way more with all the money he's going to make just on the vaccines. Uh, you know, Amazon's making billions. The big guys are making all this money because all you people out there claiming to be Christians are not Christians. Because you're not following what Christ said to do. You have no daily ministration that takes care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. The needy of your society is almost entirely taken care of by men who call themselves benefactors, but simply take away from your neighbor. That was forbidden by Christ in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all stated that we are not to be that way. But Christians are that way today, so they're not real Christians, because right out of the box, they're disobeying Christ. Therefore, they have Almost no uh, local relief for widows and orphans and needy of their society. A little bit of token stuff now and then. They make a big deal out of that. But 90% of the welfare in almost all modern churches is funded by men who exercise authority, which makes the word of God to none effect. It also makes tyrants more powerful. It centralizes wealth. It weakens society. And so, for the last 50 to 100 years, in a time of affluence, we failed to strengthen the poor. The poor financially and the poor in spirit. The It's very clear, very clear by the data that LBJ's War on Poverty stopped the... A diminishing of poverty that was taking place just before it and actually has increased poverty. And not just for the poor, but for everybody because now everybody born is born in America in debt. 50 to 
$150,000 in debt, depending on how you do the math, at least forty-five to $50,000 in debt, every child born, because they all become a surety for debt, another thing we were told not to do. Why is this? Because we've all been engaged in covetous practices, desiring benefits, free education, free health care, free Medicare, free Social Security. Yeah, it's free Social Security because it, Social Security has never been funded operating in the black. It has always operated in the red from day one because the country was operating in, in the red when they created Social Security and there is no division of funds that was ruled from the beginning and easily ruled if you actually read the Social Security Act, which almost nobody within the sound of my voice, (laughs) even on the radio, has read the Social Security Act. People who read it at the time, people who wrote it at the time, we quote them, the guy who wrote the act warned that it was not insurance and explain really what it was enough so that you would have known and it requires that you covet your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of government and you force your neighbor to contribute to take care of your parents and you are borrowing money against the future uh, labor of your children to pay off the debt of what you're receiving today. Now, that's just a fact. We have lots of articles, hundreds of footnotes that explain all that. But Christianity was the antithesis of that. And that's why Celsus did not like Christians. He's not going to bring that up much in his writings. He's just going to be a troll. I've talked to trolls. and interacted with trolls recently on the COVID and, and the vaccine. And they aren't interested in facts. They aren't interested in substantive arguments. They're interested in name-calling, you know, anti-vaxxers and, and uh, idiots and crazies. And they go and look for crazy arguments against vaccinations or crazy arguments uh, against this uh, shutdown. And they point to those crazy arguments and think they've won their case. But they don't get down to the actual data and facts. You know, like the PCR tests. PCR tests are not virus specific. And they say, oh yes they are. They can tell whether you're not, whether you positively have COVID or not. No, they don't do that. So I quote them, what is written on the kits by the manufacturers stating that they do not tell you whether or not you have COVID, you could have a bacterial infection, you could have another virus. They can't distinguish where the RNA debris is coming from. They're not made to do that. I quote the guy who invented the tests. And like I say, I quote the packaging the tests come in. Well, arguments stop, but they still name call it. (laughs) Well, this is what Celsus did. So, if you don't understand the actual Christian conflict between Rome and and the conflict between Christ and the Pharisees and the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect, if you don't understand that Corbin was a welfare system provided for the people 
through forced offerings so that sons and daughters could say, it's not my responsibility to take care of my parents. I give at the altar. And so my parents should just go to the temple and be taken care of because I gave at the temple. And so they do no more art for their parents. Did you ever see that? I started when I first met my wife. We were both working in a convalescent home. And I saw an awful lot of old people dumped by their children on the government dole. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, we're talking about Thessalonians. We're talking about the distinction between Christianity and the temple made without hands and the government temples of Rome and the temples of the Pharisees and Herod. Herod had built the temple in Jerusalem. But that's not the way you build the temple. Even if you go back to David, David, you know, was started building this temple. Uh, made out of stone. And that's that's not the way it goes. And when the, the Israelites were uh, uh, coming out of bondage, they made the temple not in the ways of the ancients, the living temple, but they made it in the way of, you know, stone government buildings and began to sneak in this idea of forced contributions. When the Romans built some of their original temples, the temple was originally just an area where those living men who provided welfare through the free will contributions of the people gathered. Because see, Rome was originally a republic. They weren't forced to take care of the needy of society. They knew in order to create those bonds of society that make society work, they had to do so with this communion, this taking care of the needy of society. This is what strengthens the community. If you take that responsibility out of the hands of the people, soon their rights will diminish in society and their ability to exercise those rights will diminish, which can take us back to that... uh, uh, what is a people's rights group that I, I signed up? They their only bond is they want their rights back. They don't have individual bonds being created, and when they face a real enemy, many of them will flee. Now this is this is if you go back to the principle of the golden calf. What was wrong with the golden calf? They were trying to bind the people together by centralizing the power and wealth into the to a, a golden depository, which is what all the city states—not all the city states, but many of the city states—were doing. They had these golden statues because it was illegal for the people to own gold. Because that was the that was a way in which to create portable wealth. And if you had portable wealth and the enemy showed up, you might flee and abandon all the slow runners. <laughs> the people who couldn't keep up. They would be overtaken and destroyed. You would abandon them. They want God wanted you to have bonds in that society, like a band of brothers, to take care of one another, to stand by one another. And that standing by one another, I mean, nobody goes, 
you may join the army to defend the Constitution or the American flag, but when the shooting starts, what makes you brave is that you're defending your buddies who are on the field with you. You're sticking by them. That's the Band of Brothers concept. You go see the the series Band of Brothers. They they had this relationship where they were willing to risk their life for their fellow man. And not for ideals, but for honor and righteousness. And that's what makes the people strong. So you you create a network, but you do not create those things that strengthens the bonds of that community. Going back to Dave Rubin. Got a lot of people like to watch him, but it's not a community. Because there is no sacrifice to take care of one another. You just sacrifice your time to be entertained for an hour or two listening to Dave and whoever his guest is. That's not really a community. It's a community of ideas, maybe. And maybe there is a little bit of sacrifice because sometimes you have to let go of some ideas that aren't true. But it is not going to hold. It is not that it's not going to stand against real trials and tribulations. Everybody will remain a scattered flock. So you have to learn and and create a society that strengthens the bonds which connect you with one another. What you have done now is strengthen the bonds that connect you with government. You need the government welfare. You need government aid. You need government social security. You need government Medicare and Medicaid. And so they come out with a vaccine and everybody lines up. Oh, there's a lot of people saying, oh, I'm not going to take this vaccine. But when they say you can't get on the plane and you can't send your kids to public school, well, a lot of people will take it. Because you can't go back and get your job. They already come out and say that. Employers can deny you access to your job. So a lot of people say, well, we're just going to work at home. Well, Germany, you know what they did? They're going to tax you for working at home. They said, well, you're saving money. You're not commuting. You're just working at home. So they're going to actually add a tax on you <laughs> if you work at home. That's your no vaccine tax. Because <laughs> you think, well, I'll just work at home uh, and I get the vaccine. Well, the point is, is that they're up in the ante all the time. And it's not just about not taking the vaccine. The vaccine isn't going to kill you if you're right with God. If they held you down and gave you the shot. I've actually known cases where people were going to be held down and given the shot. Not the present vaccine, but this is uh, other vaccines that uh, people objected to getting. And uh, they just brought in big guys and were going to hold them down and force them to get the vaccine. <laughs> I had another long story. I won't tell you all that. But the reality is, is that if you want your rights back, you have to take your responsibilities back. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. They understood that the free bread offered to you by the government, those governments who had men who called themselves benefactors, but exercised authority one over the other, where the temples were funded by a temple tax on the people who were members of that temple. That was considered idolatry to sign up for those temples. And Christians actually were died 
rather than sign up for those temples. Not because those temples were, you know, uh, polytheistic or anything like that. These are government buildings that they, they were providing a service for society. They made emperors stronger because the people were loyal to the emperor whose genius, that's what they called it when you translate it, the genius of the emperor funded the temple, funded the temple system, funded the the social welfare of society. See, they had an, a daily ministration in Rome. It just was not free will offerings. Now, if you go back in history, you can go back, what, like I said, when they originally had temples, they were temple areas. They sometimes built a wooden building there. Sometimes they built a building with walls around it. And eventually these temples got bigger and bigger. When they started making them out of stone, when they were really wealthy, they were still doing it with donated money. There was a, there was a, you know, not cutting a ribbon, but setting the cornerstone. Some of the wealthy of the community would come there when they were about to set the cornerstone and they would throw gold coins or even gold nuggets in the place where they were going to set the cornerstone. And then they would set the cornerstone on top of those gold nuggets and coins. And it was like their deposit. They were freely giving their deposit. It was it was a bit of a ritual because nobody's going to be able to get at that because they're putting this big huge cornerstone on it. I'm sure eventually people <laughs> flipped over the stones to find it. Uh, but the reality, if some of those temples are still standing, it'd be interesting to take a metal detector and find out, is there, where's the cornerstone? What, what's underneath that cornerstone? <laughs> but uh, it's been written about that that's what they were doing. Well, the rest of the stones were put in place also because of voluntary labor and because of free contributions for those that, you know, had to, you know, expert skilled labor had to build these temples. And they got bigger and bigger, like the temple at Ephesus. It burned down numerous times, and then finally they built it out of stone. Actually, they built it out of stone a couple of times. Uh, but the problem with Ephesus is that the, the mouth of the river kept changing there because it, because the silt would keep taking it out. It was, but uh, anyway, uh, the reality, those temples provided an actual service. They were government buildings providing uh, means of taking care of you, investments. Uh, there were different kinds of temples, some coin money only, like the Temple of Mineta, etc. We've talked about all that before. But the point is, is that signing up to those temples, it forced the contributions of the people, was called idolatry. Because you, it was taking away from those bonds in that temple made without hands. And, you know, people don't understand that this is the same thing that Moses was telling us thousands of years before. That Moses was, and Abraham was showing us how to create these altars of stone. With the unhewn stone. And people think, wow, there was a special way in which they built these stone altars. They were living stones. The same word for a gathering of friends is the same word for a gathering of stones. 
These were the pillars of the community. We use that word, pillars of community. They, these were the, uh, you know, uh, strong men who were also charitable. And they funded them. And they, uh, I heard Weinstein, I was on a group, and I'm still on the group, and I argue with the people now and then. And it gives me, you know, I go over there and they say something, you know, that I consider stupid or foolish or ignorant. And then so I write a rebuttal. Well, it ends up at preparing you <laughs> in an article. And uh, and then they come back with something and I go back and hone the original thing that I sent them and I approve it in the article so that you can go to preparing you and, and read about a lot of these things. Uh, it's done a lot of times at midnight or after. So uh, we're constantly repairing my typos in the middle of the night. There's a lot of work and there aren't very many laborers. But you won't understand what we're sharing with you if you're subject to the cognitive dissonance of modern society. We have an article up on that as well. And that is you have to be willing to see that your idea of Christianity is not true. It's not accurate. Christianity is not about all these theological religion is not about what you think about God. It's your pious duty in the performance of that duty. That's what religion is. The performance of that pious duty to God and your fellow man. And if God wants you to love your fellow man, to love your fellow man doesn't mean to covet his goods to men who exercise authority, which is why Christ commanded that we were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who do that. Who exercise authority one over the other to provide the benefits of society. Christians can't do that. I understand that's different than the way you've been thinking for a long time now. But that's what repentance is. It's thinking that other way. Now what I'm saying to you is what Christ said to you. You just have to do it. And when you start doing it, the cognitive dissonance will begin to melt away. You will be able to see that which you have not seen before. The scales will be removed from your eyes. That is the process of redemption, of seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. It is righteous to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. It is not righteous to take care of the needy through force, fear, and fealty. That, and if you don't understand that, you won't understand Romans, you won't understand Corinthians, you won't understand Ephesians, you won't understand Thessalonians. And I go on on this page to say the common word of, for power in Greek is exousia, which means power of choice, the right to choose. We use this word right or rights as a noun, and it's defined that which is morally correct, just, honorable. We say we want our rights. Well, you want what is morally correct, 
just, and honorable, you have to start being morally correct, just, and honorable. It is not morally correct, just, or honorable to covet your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of men because they have seduced the people into a fealty contract that you can have free education, uh, free health care, free welfare, if you just sign up and get one of our numbers. And then we will take care of you. We will guarantee we will take care of you. Actually, they don't guarantee. If you read the fine print, they don't guarantee they'll take care of you. <laughs> if you're willing to bite one another, take a bite out of your neighbor, we can provide you with benefits. That's not Christ. Christ says you have to do it by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. Not coveting your neighbor's goods. So, now you have a choice before you to decide whether you're going to start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what we're writing about. There is redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God. The redistribution of your sweat, your blood, and your life in the kingdom of God. But that redistribution is by you. You decide who you're going to give to and who you're going to share with. And if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, or thousands, the only way in which Christ ever commanded men to do, he commanded that his disciples require us to do that because it's really the only practical and effective way to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. It is how you build that temple made without hands. It's made by your free choice as to who to give it to. And like I said, Weinstein, I actually heard him say, I think it was on the Dave Rubin show. I probably still have the video because I downloaded a few of them and I'm going to take clips from them and hopefully make videos and, and explain what he was looking for. He said that we need to fund the most generous and honorable men in our communities and that will take care of the needy of society. And, of course, now, I don't know if he meant to fund them by... Faith, hope, and charity or fund them by forced offerings. Cause he didn't, he didn't specify. Well, if you do it by forced offerings, you will go under tyrants. If you do it by free will offerings, you always have the reins of control of the government. Now, if you become selfish in your heart, your society will decay. So it still depends upon the individual choice that is motivated out of the Holy Spirit. Not of righteousness, of love for one another. So anyway, on the page I added one more quote is, Freedom is the right to choose, the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice without the possibility of choice. And the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. In other words, if you don't operate that way, you will become merchandise and your children will become a surety for debt. Christ operated by faith, hope, and charity. Abraham, Moses operated by faith, hope, and charity. Caesar, Pharaoh, Nimrod, Cain, Biden, and Trump operate by force. Yeah, I may admit Trump may want to force less decrease the regulations. But it's like, you know, should should there be free college education for everybody who's qualified? 
well, you already have decided that there should be free high school and grade school for everybody. Why is it any different? See, the fact is the conservatives are a lot more socialist and a lot less capitalist than they claim. They don't really believe as much in those principles that made America great as they need to. But that's okay. That's where repentance comes in. So anyway, now that we've covered that, we can actually go to Thessalonians. Like I said, we already have recordings up for first and second and third Thessalonians. Uh, there may be some more recordings still going up. I can't remember what last week's show was all about. <laughs> but anyway, we're in Thessalonians 4 now, which begins, Furthermore, when we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord, which is what I've been doing, I've been exhorting you by the Lord Jesus Christ who said you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors. It's not to be that way with you. If it is that way with you, you are in need of repentance. That's an exhortation. Now, you also need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands which why we, why we created the network. Now, how do you begin to do that? First, you sign up for the email group at Preparing You uh, through the Google Groups uh, that we have set up based on geography. But then, you have to, if you're going to sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands like uh, Christ commanded, you're going to have to organize yourselves in those groups. When you do that, you won't be conversing all the time in those groups on the email groups. You will be conversing off those groups in whatever groups. You might set up your own congregational group. You might be close enough where you can all meet. You might do phone calls, whatever. But you have a goal now. You know, what Christ commanded that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands when there were 5,000 men in their families, we don't have that many men in their families sitting down yet. But that's your goal. Get to that. You know, because that, that could be 20, 30,000 people. Well, then, once you get to 5,000 men in their families, then you can go shoot for 50,000 men in their families. And then you will be able to start meeting more and more. But if you want that network to grow, you have to do what Christ said. Persevere. You have to strive. can't be walking off and wandering off and making excuses. You have to be persevering and striving to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to sacrifice. You have to share with one another. How you do that between you and God. We don't require that. Christ requires it. Christ is the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. I am one who comes to serve. So anyway, I have exhorted you that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so ye would abound more and more. Because we know that if you lay down your life for your fellow man, you can pick up your life more abundantly. You will also cement those bonds of righteousness that will sustain you when evil comes. For ye know what commandments 
we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Don't covet your neighbor's goods. Love one another. Forgive one another. Be patient. Be long-suffering. Love one another. Those are the commandments. You know? And those would include, Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill one another. Obviously, all those things are are, are self-evident. If you're loving one another, most of Killing your fellow congregants shouldn't even come up. But anyway, verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Sanctification. That's dedication. That That's what that word sanctification means. It means this separation. Holy means to separate out, consecrate, to dedicate something for a particular person. Even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. So what's fornication? Well, we have a whole article on on why that word shows up, why they call it fornication. You gotta remember the Parthenos was the temple of the Virgin. <laughs> so if you went and signed up at the Parthenos for benefits to double dipping, so to speak, that would be considered fornication. That would be considered adultery. Sure, adultery and fornication could be considered illicit sexual intercourse, but it is a metaphor for the worship of idols. Uh, the defilement of idolatry. It's going to those other temples and signing up for those benefits and eating the sacrifice offered to those idols. Those sacrifices are not free will sacrifices. Those are the sacrifices of men uh, who are subject to the men who exercise authority one over the other. So whenever you see this, now obviously fornication and adultery is not... But he's talking about a system of sanctification and this uh, depending, this walk of righteousness, which we see way back at John the Baptist. <laughs> you know, take care of one another, share your coat, do the same in meats. This is this is what Christians were doing. This is why when they were kicked out of the temple of the Pharisees. They had to set up a daily ministration to replace the daily ministration that they had been signed up for in the temple. But they were now opting out of the social security offered to them by the Pharisees. They couldn't just opt out on their own until the Pharisees said, if you don't want this, then you're kicked out. Okay, I'm kicked out. I'm, I'm, I'm free. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Anyway, we're down to verse 3. I have a link there to an actual article on uh, fornication, but I also have a footnote there so you can look up the definition. I'm not making these definitions up. This is, this is what is in your concordance. But uh, we'll see if we can get through the rest of this. Uh, so stay tuned to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, we're in... Uh, Verse 4 here, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel 
in sanctification and honor. His vessel, that's, we're, we're all vessels. We're walking, breathing carbon units, uh, that within us we contain this thing we refer to as a soul, as a spirit, uh, some sort of consciousness that is beyond the physical uh, presence of our body functioning. And now, whether you believe that or not, or whether you understand, very few people understand that. I can't even say I understand it entirely. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is that we dwell in this human flesh. Most of the cells in our body aren't even us. They're, they're foreign cells, bacterias and, and, uh, all sorts of, uh, viruses, uh, that are in there. And, uh, we live consciously in this body. When the body stops functioning, the consciousness goes somewhere else. And we may touch on that a little bit as we get into Second Thessalonians because they do take us into kind of an interdimensional realm uh, which they've created all kinds of theology around but we'll save that for when we get into those chapters I I did some notes on that last night I'm not going to get into it too deeply but the reality is that we live in these human bodies when the human body stops living well then that's a problem but that the way we walk in this body is going to determine the sanctification and honor of our being. How we honor that walk, that walk that Christ came to teach us how to do. The early Christians were not engaged in the covetous practices of Rome, in the Roman imperial cult. And uh, they also were not engaged in the Corbin of the Pharisees, because those systems were considered idolatry. They were considered fornication. They were considered not doing what John the Baptist said, not doing what Christ said. They were they were turning to the men who exercised authority to provide our social welfare, our daily ministration, our impure religion. They actually called it public religion. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, because this is part of the topic that we see in Thessalonians. The first part of Thessalonians is kind of just a friendly note. There's some warning, some chastising, but there's not getting into a great deal of doctrine. Uh, they provided a means by which to practice pure religion. That's what the church's job was, to help the people practice pure religion. In order to do that, the people had to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Uh, in order to set up a daily ministration that operated by faith, hope, and charity rather than the force, fear, and fealty that was operated through the temples of Rome and the Corbin of the Pharisees. So in verse 5 we see, not in the lust and concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, the Gentiles are those governments who exercise authority one over the other. This word concupiscence is uh, from a Greek word that is uh, translated lust and concupiscence, uh, mostly lust, about 30 times lust, and uh, but also desire and lust, desire, craving, longing, desire for what is forbidden. 
Well, it is forbidden for you to covet your neighbor's goods and to exercise authority one over the other to get what is your neighbor. That would be taking a bite out of your neighbor. And so that, uh, even the word that that comes from, is also defined uh, as covet. And it's even translated covet. You know, it, when you when you look at that word as a, a verb, it is the word covet, not just desire. See, a lot of people think coveting is if I see my neighbor's got this really nice pickup, and I want a really nice pickup like my neighbor's. That's not coveting my neighbor's goods. That's wanting a real nice pickup. And that's fine if you want a real nice pickup. Maybe you can do real good, make a good living for your family with that pickup. I don't know how selfish your motive is, but that's not coveting to desire a pickup like your neighbor. It's when you desire your neighbor's pickup. That's coveting. It's it's not coveting your neighbor's goods to want to have a good education like your neighbor. Yeah, or send your kids to college like your neighbor. Send his kids to college if you want to do that. That's not coveting. But if you want to make your neighbor pay with his sweat and blood to provide you with college, that's coveting. To desire the government to pay your student loan, because the government's not going to pay it. They're just going to exercise authority and make somebody else pay it. That's coveting your neighbor's goods. You do that, and you're going to be suffering from severe cases of cognitive dissonance because you don't love your neighbor. You are in desire. You're, you're in concupiscence. You're lusting after what is your neighbor's, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. They think that's okay to do that. Uh, Celsus thought that was okay to do that. He never brought that up as far as I can see in what I've read of him so far. There may be other people that quote him. Like I say, we don't have his original writings. Just, But he doesn't seem to be attacking that, although he, he does kind of in a roundabout sort of way. But we'll get into that when we cover Celsus. But this is the problem. Is that you, you have grown accustomed to desiring and living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others and the sweat and toil of your neighbor. And you're you're perfectly fine with filling your belly by taking a bite out of your neighbor through men who exercise authority. That is not Christian. That is not Christ. That is not what the apostles are telling the Thessalonians they get to do. As a matter of fact, they're saying you can't do that. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Now that word defraud, uh, that's a word that is actually from the word covetous, greedy of gain, uh, and it, it's. Translated, make a gain, defraud, or get an advantage. Getting a college education at the expense of your neighbor is an advantage. 
isn't it? You gained. You got uh, college education and didn't have to pay for it. Your neighbor had to pay for it. And so all the conservatives are against that. But not all the conservatives are against having the advantage of a high school education or a grade school education. That's an advantage too. They're okay with that. They just think that the the leftists are going too far. But the fact is they've all departed from Christ. They've all walked away from Christ. They've all gone this other way of forcing their neighbors to provide them with an advantage. We used to provide public schools without tax dollars. It, the schools were built by the militia. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's what the militia was doing. And in doing that, the militia were creating those bonds of working together, sweating together, carrying the the logs for the one-room schoolhouse together, cutting them down, clearing the ground, putting down a well, doing all that together. We're creating bonds. Men who work together, that creates bonds between those men. Those men now will defend one another. They will rush into a burning house to save their buddy. It's not enough just to create a network. It has to be a network of righteousness. And if you don't include a communion based on the perfect law of liberty, liberty, you will not have a righteous community. Talking about righteousness is not going to be enough. So, yeah, Dave Rubin doesn't really have a community. An online community is not a virtuous community. It's a virtual community. Which is great if you're going to fight a virtual enemy. But if you're going to actually fight a real enemy, you need a virtuous community. (laughs) So, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. That was one of the complaints of Celsus is that the, the, the Christians were separating themselves out. Well, actually, they're separating us out. Now we can't, we can't ride, fly on their airplanes unless we get their, uh, mRNA vaccine. <laughs> we may not be able to go back and work on their workplace, but that's okay if we've already sat down in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. We have a communion and a society we can turn to, which again is why the Christians were singing when they left Jerusalem surrounded by the armies of Titus. Because they had a place to go. Because they had a network that we see Paul and Barnabas and the apostles, Timothy, building across the Roman Empire through this network of charity. Most of it taking place on a local basis by the local people. But also Galatians helping Corinthians and Corinthians helping people in Ephesus and people in Jerusalem helping people in Syria. So if they had to move, they had a place to go because they were a well-organized network of righteous individuals. They weren't all righteous, I'm sure. But there was a lot more righteousness there than you'll find in Antifa. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, he therefore that despiseth 
despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So, they despise us. They despise us because we have this other system of social welfare that takes care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, which if we were actually doing it, we would see it working better than the systems of the world that operate by force, fear, and fealty. That's why tyrants want you afraid. That's why there's this promotion. Fear COVID, fear the vaccine, fear... I'm not saying fear any of these things. Fear that you're not doing the will of the Father. Repent and start... And the will of the Father is that you do all these things out of love for one another. Out of caring. It's it's a game changer. It changes everything. It, it it removes the blindness so you can start seeing what's coming. You don't need to analyze Revelation. You will see it coming. The handwriting is on the wall. You will not only see it, you will be able to read it. Because you have turned around your thinking and pursued the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have not made excuses why you don't want to join the network of others seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm sure some people who have joined the network aren't really seeking the righteousness. But if enough of you join and start becoming doers of the word, you will create the filter of the Holy Spirit in your midst. Verse 9, But as touching brotherly love... Ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Taught how? He's writing upon their hearts and upon their minds. That's a compliment he's giving to the Thessalonians. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. Not just your little isolated ten family home church. But all the people in Macedonia, all the people in Texas, all the people in Arizona, all the people in New York that are the brethren. Now, who's the brethren? Those who do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is that you do not covet your neighbor's goods, that you are not greedy for gain, that you love one another, that you come to serve like Christ came to serve. That's the brethren. You get to make the choice as to who you think they are. But if you're making that choice based on some sort of dogmatic doctrine as to what they're allowed to think about God, you're missing it. It's it's about righteousness of God. Not a painting of God in your imagination. Goes on to say, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Yeah, I know some of you are out there in the network that are trying to, you know, uh, get come together and make this happen. But I want to see you do it more and more. And that's what he's saying to them. We beseech, we pray, we desire, brethren, 
that have started out. If you, if you're even beginning to hear what I'm talking about, you, I don't believe you could hear it in this day and age unless God was already writing on your heart and mind. I just want that writing to increase more and more, the same as they do. And that ye study, that's the word they have here in the translation I put in, I, I put the actual word there, uh, which is strive. It's, it's not study. It's a word that is translated strive, it's translated labor, and it is translated study. But it means to be fond of honor, to be actuated by love of honor. That's actually, you're, you're being motivated by this love of honor. To strive earnestly, to make it one's aim. So, that when they say study, we don't want you to think that you got to go memorize some catechism because that's not what it's about, memorizing some catechism. <laughs> it's a, it's about being doers of the word. See, that's what, what uh, came out of this argument against Celsus is that then, oh, you had to believe this, and you had to believe this, and you had to say these magic words, and you had, you didn't have to have a daily ministration that, ex, uh, that, that provided for the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity, but you gotta believe these words, you gotta believe this doctrine, you gotta believe this personal and private interpretation, even though the scripture is not given to private interpretation. So where is that, that word that we see translated study in Thessalonians 4.11? Where else do we find it? 2 Corinthians 5.9 Wherefore we labor. It doesn't say we study. It says we labor. That whether present or absence we may be accepted of him. So labor, that's doing stuff. I thought all we had to do is say we believe. We don't actually have to do stuff, even though Christ said it's not those who say, but those who do. There's this ideology, philosophy, false teaching, that all you have to do is think a thought and you can save yourself. Not so. The other place you find that same word is in Romans 15:20. Yea, so have I strived, there's the word, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. You don't want to be building on another man's foundation. That's not capitalism. <laughs> so, so, so what do you want to do? But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. So, lots of people will understand the basics of the kingdom, of caring about one another. It's just common sense. And when you're forced into that situation, by circumstance, you will see other people doing it. Unfortunately, many of the bonds that we will need will come in hard times. But the more we seek the kingdom now, because it's not hard times yet, the better off we will be. But more important, the better off our children will be. 
Because we're not here to save ourselves. We're here to save others. Because Christ didn't come to save himself. He came to save others. That they might be saved. That has, if you're not doing that, you're not coming in the name of Yeshua or Jehovah. People want to say, oh, you got to say Yeshua or Jehovah. No, you have to have his character written in your heart. Not, it's not, kingdom of God is not about spelling. It's about righteousness. So anyway, it goes on to say, to, talks about being quiet. And, and this word quiet, it's uh, to keep quiet, to rest, to cease from labor, to to lead a quiet life, said of those who are not running hither and thither, but stay at home and mind their own business. <laughs> to be silent. Uh, that is to say, to say nothing, hold one's peace. And so, anyway, that, uh, it's actually translated even hold one's peace or rest or cease. But it is in one place it says quiet. So it's not the only word. We see the word quiet a lot of times in the Bible. And so it's, it's a little bit, it's not commonly translated quiet, but it is here. But he go, even goes on to say, and to do your own business. So, that word quiet is in relationship to that, you know, do your work. And he says that in the next verse, or the next uh, phrase. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. you this is, you're empowering the individual. This is what, the good thing about capitalism, is that you're responsible for what you do. Now, other people may come and help you out, but it has to be by free choice. If you want to do it by some sort of democracy where the mob forces one whole section of society to support another because they have the vote or they have the guns or they have the army behind them, nobody's going to be free. Some tyrant's going to... That's just how Cain, Nimrod, Caesar, Pharaoh, that's how they operate. And it brings destruction. Even Saul, it's the Saul Syndrome. When they gave power to Saul, it was too much. He could not resist the temptation. That's what the temptations of Christ are all about. I have an article up on that. What were they? It's turning men into bread. Stones. The stones of the altar into my personal bread. No, I'm not going to do that. It has to be by free choice and free will. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Another interesting word that shows up over and over again here in the next, well, in a couple of these verses as well as in uh, the next chapter. Uh, and some people interpret that the people asleep are those who are dead. Well, in a way, yeah, but that's not really what they're talking about. And ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which uh, asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So again, what, what's this sleep? 
you know, it's actually, uh, uh, KME is the Greek word. And, uh, it's, it's translated lie or laid or be set or be appointed, uh, be made. So how is that, you know, what are we talking about here? Asleep. It, they say it's a metaphor. Prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, an entire theology or eschatology has been created by these couple of verses. Ignoring the fact that the Christians were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, were actually persecuted by Rome, by the Pharisees, because they wanted to use a system that was based on force and fear and fealty, compelled offerings, forcing you to pay your fair share in. Somebody had the power to make you contribute. And then, before you knew it, the the ministers of the temple, the stones of the temple, of the altars of God, were being appointed from the top down, because you had to pay in. See, when you get to choose who you give it to, you have control over who's going to be the the minister of those funds. If you see him doing a good job, you give to him. If he's not doing a good job, you don't give to him. You have the power of choice. When it's a forced offering, somebody else is going to appoint those ministers from the top down. You have just... Turn the world upside down. This is why the Christians were turning the world upside down. What they were actually doing is turning it right side up. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, in uh, uh, the word sleep is actually from uh, komeo, uh, which is from another word, uh, also, uh, uh, which is komei which means to lie. But the original word was uh, komeo. And uh, it means to cause uh, to sleep, to put to sleep. And it's a metaphor to still, calm, or quiet, to fall asleep, to sleep, or possibly, one of the last things it says, to die. And you have to look at the, the Hebrew way of writing in the Hebrew language originally and amongst the Jews, that uh, if you and understand the whole idea of stoning, etc., that you didn't necessarily uh, stone somebody with rocks. You know, there was different kinds of stoning. They talked about up against the wall and at the city gates and everything. What they were, they're talking about really is shunning. That you could shun somebody in the city gates and you could, you know, within the uh, society... Or there was those that you just ousted from society altogether. They were as if they were dead. You treat them as if they were dead. Uh, 
you saw it in the movie Fiddler on the Roof that uh, he his one of his daughters did something he thought was so egregious that he was she was dead to him and it was it grieved the whole family and eventually he repented of that but because uh, he had taken the ritual too far he had unmoored the principles or the values of the tradition the purposes of the tradition from the the from what he was doing and he was actually creating a greater injustice and so anyway these people who are asleep were not necessarily dead now a lot of people want to think oh he's going to raise the dead from the grave and of course celsus complains about this that what does a person want to be raised in a rotting dead body and of course you can argue against that and you know talk about lazarus who had been in the grave for some time and he was raised from the dead supposedly and brought out and he they said don't do it because his body is rotting and stinking and they and he did it and the body wasn't rotting and stinking so but the reality is is that uh like i say they they take this basic uh statement of uh of the uh, apostle writing Thessalonians and uh, they create a whole theology around it uh because they they're literally painting a picture with these words which might be accurate i'm not going to say it's not accurate but it's not guaranteed this is this is a private interpretation where they're saying these people who sleep are dead but the word doesn't necessarily means that it it means that they're not awake that they don't see that the gospel of the kingdom requires us to live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty and take back our responsibilities so that we can have back our rights, that God will hear our voice when we pray and when the enemy comes against us, they actually come against Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God said that if you go this way of a king who can exercise authority like Saul and they gave him all kinds of power and made him the commander in chief and eventually he was forcing sacrifices of the people to uh, fund his army which Samuel said was an evil thing, a foolish thing that would end in his destruction because he was forcing the sacrifice, he was taxing the people to provide his army a good thing they needed the army provided for but he wasn't supposed to do it that way if you go back to Deuteronomy 17 they explain you have five things to write down in your constitution and one of them includes not being able to accumulate gold and silver certainly not force the contributions of the people not to rule over the people, but to serve the people. You had to create a constitution where your chief executive officer was a servant of the people. And so you had to put all five of these things into your constitution to make sure that he stayed a servant and you were to read them to him every single day. Only one of them is in the U.S. Constitution. But that's another whole story. Go read our articles and listen to our audios on that. But the reality is... Because we went that way to get a king who could exercise authority, a chief executive officer, a commander-in-chief, to fight our battles for us instead of binding one another together through faith, hope, and charity and being able to defend ourselves, 
People can't even imagine how to do that. But of course, there are scales on their eyes. They can't see. They're not awake. But God says, He's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking because He's going to fall prey to that temptation of turning you into His bread. He's going to grind your bones to make His bread. Because He's going to be a giant in your midst. Because He's going to have all the power of redistribution of wealth. Because you did not sit down in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands and redistribute your wealth according to faith, hope, and charity. In that vacuum comes the tyrant. And you have been prepared for the tyrant because you've become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. But Samuel ends in Samuel 8. You can go read it for yourselves. For Samuel 8. Not only is he going to take and take and take and take and take your sons and daughters for his own purposes. When you cry out, he's not going to hear you. If you want God to hear you, you need to repent from what you've been thinking, that it was okay to do that, and start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. In the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, at least start until that religion becomes a pure religion where you are entirely dependent upon your faith in God and not the benefactors who exercise authority. That's going to be a process. Because right now, you're 95% dependent upon the benefactors who exercise authority. Most of the welfare and all the churches that call themselves the Church of Christ, you know, the church established by Christ, it's actually the church established by Constantine. Until that church repents, it's not really the church established by Christ. But you could repent right now. Turn around your thinking and start gathering together, not just in little home churches, but even in your big congregations and start saying, We have brought this devastation upon ourselves. We have brought tyranny upon ourselves because we have abandoned the ways of Christ. We are sorry. We repent. We think differently now. And we're going to start organizing ourselves as Christ commanded. I don't care if you got a 2,000 man, 10,000 man, 20,000 man church. You're in a giant auditorium saying you accept Jesus. When you leave that auditorium, you better be organizing yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and intending to become the entire social welfare of your community through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If you're not doing that, you're not going to be great again. You're not following the ways of Christ. You're not the church established by Christ. You can become that church, Presbyterian, Baptist, Seventh-day Adventist, I don't care whoever you are, all those little rituals that you're doing. If you repent, you can, you can keep doing many of those rituals. You, you keep the Seventh-day Adventist diet. You can, you can meet on Saturday. But you need to start doing the fundamentals of faith in Christ and strive to become the benefactors who do not exercise authority, the benefactors who exercise love and mercy and patience. It will be the game changer. 
It will make a difference as to whether you even hear the voice of the Lord. Because it will just seem like thunder to those who have not yet repented. And uh, and the mention of with the Trump of God, they're not talking about President Trump. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't get carried away. And uh, Archangel, we could look into that. Maybe we will next time. Look into what the Archangel is. But uh, probably the, the important thing on this page, I evidently have a footnote wrong here. Uh, I put the word in place for asleep that is actually the word that the word asleep comes from. But I, I, will, uh, I will fix that. I was trying to fix it during the break, but something's not working here. But we'll have it fixed before the day is out. Uh, but the important thing to note is the fornication is a metaphor. The worship of idols or idolatry was considered fornication. The worship of idols and idolatry is signing up for the government temples that exercise authority one over the other but provide a daily ministration, a communion of welfare for the needy of society. That's idolatry. I don't know if you can make the connection, but Social Security, welfare through the state, is public religion. Those free vaccines. How much are you paying for those vaccines? Do you have to pay when you go in and get those vaccines? Oh, they're free. That kind of reminds me of the polio vaccine when they took us down for the polio vaccine. They took me in for a vaccine once and and my tissue was, uh, you know, when they gave it to to me, uh, blood just squirted out of my arm. All the stuff they injected in just came out. I mean, there was blood all over the floor. <laughs> and uh, there were people screaming and yelling. But uh, but the polio vaccine, that was a spoonful of sugar. You know, it was the sugar cube they put on it. Somebody last night was saying that because uh, of my position on this new uh, vaccine that that polio was cured by a vaccine. I hope you get polio now. This is the what that you get on the left. They're, they want to see. I hope the guy does not get COVID or at least get it sick. I hope he gets immune to it. But I hope he doesn't get the vaccine or because they think that he has to get the vaccine to become immune. All these people think you have to get a vaccine to become immune or immunity deniers. But I pointed out, and we have this in articles. You can go read our articles on polio and vaccines. And we're using CDC uh, data to show you that polio wasn't cured by vaccines. One thing, vaccines don't cure anything. That's not how they work. They hopefully stimulate your body to cure, create the cure, produce the antibody. Vaccines aren't putting antibodies in you. They're putting the disease in you in hopes that you will produce an antibody. But they're putting a lot of other things that sometimes create autoimmune problems and autism and all that stuff. Now, of course, everybody who's drank the Kool-Aid will say, no, autism isn't caused by vaccines, but they're not following the science because the science is saying otherwise. Certainly the correlation is. (laughs) But they'll say, oh, no, correlation is not causation. Yeah, but the causation is there. You can follow it. But the reality to say that 
polio was cured by vaccine, correlation isn't causation, so it doesn't follow necessarily. The reality is that polio was on the decline before they even came out with a vaccine because 95% of the people who get exposed to the polio virus become immune without showing symptoms, any severe symptoms whatsoever. That means we were rapidly approaching herd immunity. And that's what keeps us safe. Most of the cases of polio today, almost all the cases of polio in parts of the world in 2015 were from the vaccine, not from the wild virus. People don't know that, but that's that's on the CDC website. So the reality is all the problems we're facing today, it's like I was saying, capitalism, I'm bringing, I'm not just correlating, I'm showing the comparison. It's not because of capitalism, it's because of all the socialism that has been creeping into your society from, you know, 1913 and 1933 and 1954 and 1977 and, and, you know, uh, FDR and LBJ, that's all socialism. I mean, most kids at at the beginning of 1900s were still attending private schools or home schools. Most kids were not in public schools and most of the funding for public schools was through private means. Even in 1900. Now, it's not only uh, funded by taxes, it's funded a great deal by federal funds. And so that gives more and more power into the hands of the government. So they elected Trump and he put somebody in charge and they're decreasing the power of uh, and influence of the federal government and giving more power back to the states. But the reality is is that even if he gets in for another four years, that could be reversed overnight. You're still not taking back your responsibility, which is homeschooling. But homeschooling by itself is not enough. You have to congregate together in free assemblies by the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start becoming the welfare system of righteousness. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're trying to explain to you. And if you are hearing it, now you have to turn it into doing. And you have to do that word, not study, as we see in verse 11, but strive to do it yourself, quiet means to do your own business. Your own business is to be responsible for your children's education. I remember when we were homeschooling, I was called by all kinds of parents, well, a number of parents, who were sending their kids to public school. I'm paying the taxes that are supporting that school. But they're calling me up to counsel their children because they can't do the math problems that are sent home by, this is before (laughs) the new math, well, I guess there was a new math, but it wasn't the the new new math, which is even more bizarre. But uh, but I understood math, and so I could help them. I would I would be there fixing something in their house, some electrical deal or carpenter deal, or sometimes it was in an apartment, and I was doing repair works for the owner, and they they got me helping their kids do their studies because they're not learning it in school. Five minutes with me. And they were the kids were saying, oh, I get it. They were solving the problem. I was even doing work for the school out in front of the gymnasium. And uh, 
that a bunch of the science kids were out there wandering around, and I said, "What are you guys doing?" And they were saying, "Well, we're we're supposed to go out and figure out how to measure the height of the flagpole without climbing up it, and we can't figure it out." And this is the whole class, no teacher around or anything. Well, I guess I helped them cheat because I told them at least three different ways, two of which I learned in Boy Scouts when I was 13 years old. <laughs> the other one I learned uh, in forestry school at the University of Minnesota. But And they all were just amazed. Well, why hadn't the teacher told them any of these things when he sent them out so that they could learn something? It was one of the worst science teachers I've ever seen. He was there for years and years and years. Why didn't somebody remove him? I heard nothing but complaints from all the parents. But nobody ever did anything about it. Why? Because they are accustomed to depending upon the men who exercise authority to fix things for them. They have become weak as a community. Weak as a society. Because they're not doing what Christ said. Oh, they're going to their assemblies of God and their Lutheran church and their Catholic churches. But they're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're not saying you should stop coveting your neighbor's goods and looking to men who exercise authority one over the other to solve all your problems. You should start taking care of them yourself. Now, admittedly, in this small community, we do a lot of that because the government doesn't get out here very much. (laughs) But we don't do it. We may do it more than they do in downtown Portland or Eugene, but we don't do it as much as they did in Thessalonia or all of Macedonia. And so when the uh, the wars and famines and, and uh, plagues came upon them in, in Macedonia, the Thessalonians were well prepared and they survive the calamities that were coming because they had a network of righteous welfare, righteous daily ministration. They had created the bonds of real communion, not virtual communion, but virtuous communion. They had become bands of brothers by helping one another in righteousness. They were not asleep. They were not woke. They were awakened. (laughs) They were alive in Christ. And there would be men among them, women among them, who would say, there's something about to happen. And we see this. Agabus and the daughters telling him that there was going to be a dearth. They saw this because they were pure of heart. And they were doers of the word and they had insight you know if you're trying to interpret revelation and figure out what's coming but you're not repenting and thinking like early Christians you will paint a wrong picture and have it wrong what is that uh, meeting in the clouds uh, I'll I'll leave you with a little bit of that but uh, you know meeting the Lord in the air. If you're not doing all the other things that they talked about in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and most of chapter 4, one of the things in Thessalonians, they mention our Father more than any other book or epistle in the Bible. They mention Father a lot. Now, there's others, there are a few other epistles that mention Father a great deal. 
but uh, sometimes they're mentioning father in the sense of uh, honor thy father and thy mother, which is another whole story. But they're saying our father. Well, in that crowd in Thessalonia, they knew who the other father was. So they knew who our father was because they knew the father of Rome was the emperor of Rome whose genius ran the temples and provided for the temples. When Jesus said, Call no man on earth father but my father who art in heaven, he was saying, Stop looking to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. He was saying the same thing we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That we weren't to be that way. That we were not to depend upon them or take bite out of one another or covet our neighbor's goods through these socialist systems of welfare. That most of the conservatives of today have accepted as okay. Some libertarians say they're not okay. But are they creating a communion of righteousness? Christ knew we had to do that to create the bonds that connect us with another. The Declaration of Independence talks about severing the bonds that connect us with the tyrants of England. You do not want to sever those bonds until you have ingratiated yourselves to the bonds of righteousness. The early Americans had done that. They had no public schools except that were provided by private welfare, private religion. Most of the schools that were available to the poor were set up by churches. And they were available to the poor, tuition or not. They chose to do that. Their hospitals were being built by charity, not by force. If you build all these social welfare strata or structures in your society through forced offerings... You're going to be under tyrants because you're slothful in the ways of righteousness. The Thessalonians knew that. And they didn't necessarily know, but they were preparing for that day when the destruction would come. That was one of the things that Ambrose, you you wouldn't realize this, but when Ambrose was begging Origen, demanding that Origen write an argument against Celsus and his his ridiculous complaints about Christianity, which was all troll in nature. He was already in a panic because he saw the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. This is why Constantine was edging towards Christianity. Didn't embrace Christianity. He never was baptized till he was dead on his bed. Uh, his mother may have been a Christian, but what he he was doing, it, they were coming up to one thousand years in the first end of the first millennium in the in the Roman calendar, and he thought, "Oh my gosh, end of the world!" So they were afraid even back then. Do not fear. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Join us on the network. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.